Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and top leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. And welcome to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. I'm your host, Steve LeBeau, and we have three gentlemen today. It's This is an all this is our first all-male program. I hope we won't get uh, any criticism for this. But we have um, uh, two men that are running organizations that sound a lot alike, and they have kind of a similar purpose in general, too. We have uh, Dario Otero with Youth Lens 360, and to match that up, we have Chad Carruthers from 360 Journalism. So you see what we're doing there? And then, and then uh, wearing the shirt, taking sides, Youth Lens 360 <laughs> is uh, Devante Lowe, who is uh, a student yeah, well, of, of sorts. So we're here. Well, why don't you start with you, Dario, and tell me uh, how you got to be the head honcho of Youth Lens 360. Yeah, Youth Lens 360 is really a culmination of many things that I've done in my life. Um, started out early in visual communications technology as a major in college and undergrad and uh, went to grad school for uh, special education and started out working in high, sc- in high school where I uh, developed a program called the VIP program, uh, working with students with special needs, but in the video production photography field. Uh, and we kind of took that show on the road when we went on and worked with companies and stuff outside of the school. And uh, one thing I noticed was that this entrepreneur spirit really wasn't being tapped in a lot of schools. Um, this school that I was working at was High School for Recording Arts in St. Paul, and they mm. allowed me to be able to be creative. But how many other youth out there weren't getting this type of uh, a program or, or going to high school and seeing this entrepreneurial lens for themselves? Um, and so, you know, I stepped outside of the school and I decided to start this company. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I've always had a side business. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to do was say, let me just try this, you know, merge both of the things that I've been doing and create Youth Lens 360, working with the youth, and, and, and Youth Lens 360 is a youth marketing company. So uh, we're out there, we're a for-profit well, he's, company. He's marketing uh, you with this T-shirt. Right, he's, yeah, he's doing some marketing <laughs> right, right now. His shirt. <laughs> and then I like your business cards too, they're little circles that are kind of like monocles, you can put them up, and yeah. and all you see is a Youth Lens. Yes, 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 and it, I mean, that's by design, of course, because sure. when you work with the youth, they have all these creative ideas, so right. one of them was, why don't you just make a circle card? Okay, well, and they're so. keeping you young, Dario. Exactly. <laughs> and we have uh, Chad Carruthers, and who's keeping you young, and where where are you from? You know, I want to start out by saying that I've always, you mentioned monocle, and I've always wanted to have a monocle. <laughs> just, I'm really one. sidetracked now thinking about a monocle and all the cool things I could do with one of those. But yeah, I'm Chad Carruthers. I'm the executive director of 360 Journalism, uh, which in a sentence, uh, 360 is a journalism outreach program for high school students, and we focus on underrepresented populations. Uh, we've evolved a lot in the last few years. We've been around for about 20 years here in the Twin Cities here at St. Thomas, I should say. Um, how did I get to where I am today? I've been at 360 for about four years. 
And like Dario here, it's kind of a culmination of some things, or maybe not a culmination, but at least a combination of a lot of the things I've done in my life. So I have an undergraduate degree in journalism and have done a lot of communication and marketing things through the years. Um, as I was finishing graduate school here at the U, I got involved in the nonprofit sector as a volunteer. Uh, and one thing led to, uh, led to another uh, in the nonprofit sector, and here I am at 360 as the executive director, and it's been great. It still is great. Um, you know, a big part of why I got to where I am today in this area is I moved to Minnesota about 17 years ago. From? From California. I grew up in St. Louis um, and then moved out to California for eight years. You just uh, can't make up your mind. No, but I've been here 17 years. Oh, so, well, that's you know, And I only have so newcomer. many years. So, <laughs> you know, this is a pretty good chunk right here. So, uh, But one thing I noticed, and this was a while back, was that um, you know the, the, the people you saw on the street here were a lot different than the people I uh, saw in California and that I grew up with. It was much more diverse in those two other places. And when I got here, mm. I didn't... Um, didn't see it. And, you know, I've always been passionate about urban education and some other issues. Um, so to be honest with you, at that point in time, I kind of sought out some diversity. Um, I got involved volunteering at a Somali charter school back then, uh, which was great. I'd never seen a Somali person in my life at that, that time. Uh, and again, when we get to where I am today, um, there are all sorts of different factors and that's one of them. So, hmm. well, and I should say my daughter went to your program so that's what got her where she is today. Oh, wow. wow. We so love to hear that. She's a, well, she's a college graduate. She's yeah. actually uh, headed towards Japan. She's going to try to get wow. a job in Tokyo. Wow. That's very cool. So, that is. Good mm -hmm. luck to her. Anyway, I know. Good luck. <laughs> Everybody knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Devante. Yeah. Your turn. Oh, well. Who um, are you? Where'd you come from? <laughs> and why are you uh, wearing that t-shirt? Um, well, I'm Devante Lowe. Um, I came from my mother originally, you know, <laughs> you um, back to the source. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, well, I just, I guess I'll start out by saying, uh, how I got connected with Dario and Youth Lens 360. Um, I got connected with Dario through a good friend of mine. Um, I met him in high school and I've known him a while now. And basically it was, I believe it was a photo shoot or something with photography. And so that's kind of how we got linked in. And then, uh, Ever since then, he's kind of just taken me under his wing, and you know, I had that uh, that passion to want to learn. So, I've just been working with him. Um, I've done a few things with Dario. Um, I did the Minnesota C seven hundred State Project. What's that? Um, that is basically it's a training module for um, companies on how to interview individuals with disabilities. So, how to not ask and trap me, oh, entrapping how, questions how and stuff like that. Stupid. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Cover Gosh. their p's and q's. So. Um, so what's what's your business idea? My business idea for myself is kind of the same vision, working with youth. Um, I want to start a, a business of my own, working with youth, um, underprivileged youth, homeless youth, uh, youth who really, you know, haven't had that fair square opportunity, um, you know, chance at life. So I want to do something to give back to the community and to uh, help others. You know, I feel like my voice is the most powerful gift I have and it, it'd be a waste not to use it for the right reasons. That's that's true, but what's your uh, revenue model? Revenue model? Yeah, man, I got to get that one Cause, together. Because because I know we're here, <laughs> we're here with the nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, uh, three hundred and sixty journalism and and Dario, are you? What are you a nonprofit or a for profit? I'm a for profit. Okay. And, and one of the things that so you got that capitalism going. Yeah, for yeah, definitely. And you know, a lot of people tell me I should be a nonprofit because I work with youth and I'm trying to bring them into a space of entrepreneurship, but. 
I think they need to see me go through the struggle and go through the, <laughs> you know, the fight to be an entrepreneur. And that a lot of that is staying for a profit. If, and if Dario can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with Devante, you know, it's just introducing him to a lot of different things to see to see which one caught on. And one of the things that happened with the C700 project was he was able to do voiceover work, ah. never doing that before and realizing yeah. that his voice was very powerful. He said, I need to design something around this right. for youth in my community to be able to have this experience. And right. so that's really it's not at a stage where he has a revenue model because he's really in a design stage. Yeah, I'm in the design. I'm trying to figure that's out a, really. That's a good line. I'm in the design stage. <laughs> <laughs> Under construction. Well, pre-revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen yeah, it for I, years. I mean, yeah. it, when I first sparked the idea of it, I wanted it to be nonprofit, but I mean, you got to have some type of revenue sometimes to keep yourself afloat, especially like if you want to do things that are going to give back to people, you know, like you got to have some source of income, so... Well, I mean, Synapse is the same thing. A lot of people tell us that we should be a nonprofit. But then I talked to a guy at the Bush Foundation. He goes, there are so many nonprofits in uh, the Twin Cities, uh, Minnesota, that we don't need another one. But you, you slipped in. You were grandfathered in, uh, Chad. You were not. You, you joined a nonprofit, so it wasn't up to you whether to start it. But you've got some pretty strong supporters. We do. And, you know, foremost, we're at the University of St. Thomas. So they um, not only provide seed money for our budget every year, but also space and all the terrific resources they have at the university, both from a program perspective and what we can offer our students. We're very intentional about them um, really getting a better understanding of the college experience and process. And they have a good journalism school over there. They do have a good journalism school. So we love to use the expertise, not to mention the equipment that is available to us at St. Thomas. Are you using that microphone? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, we do have a lot of longtime terrific supporters. And it's interesting to hear you guys talk about the nonprofit versus the for-profit. Um, and I've never run a for-profit business. I've worked for them. I've never run one. I've run two nonprofits. Um, and I think one thing, a lot of mis- uh, misperception is that a nonprofit can't make a profit, and that's not true. But uh, They just don't pay taxes. It can be harder. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're <laughs> right. Um, but you're also right. There are a ton of nonprofits here in this area, and there is also a lot of terrific philanthropic support. But at the end of the day, what that means is there's a lot of competition for those dollars. So, and I think you guys know this, or you'll learn this, that um, some sort of blend of, if you are a nonprofit, of um, the actual philanthropic money, but also having steady revenue streams as part of uh, part of your budget every year is really important. But then the the thing that I like about both of your organizations is the the productivity, the hands-on. Let's do stuff. Let's make stuff. I mean, that's what I like about journalism. I mean, that's where I've spent my career. You're either taking a blank tape and filling it up or taking a blank page and filling it up. And, and uh, you're communicating to people. So it's, it's, uh, you're manufacturing, you're, you're getting something across. Um, too much of education, I think, is just sitting in your desk staring mm-hmm. at somebody talking at you. Yeah, I, I don't think education in the future is going to even be in brick-and-mortar buildings. There'll be some component of that. But I think the more that we can get these youth outside of the school building into the real world, we'll see a difference in education. I think that's what needs to happen is just real world learning. I mean, I, I know for me, for instance, like at, when when I was a student, well, I'm still a student now. I'm onto the college field. But um, what really helped me or what I what really motivated me to, to be good in school and to be to do good is like just hands on, you know, actually doing stuff and, and feeling that accomplishment feeling, you know, like you get what you put in out of this. So, And it makes things practical. I mean, mm-hmm. for a, a lot of my studies, 
it's like, well, why are we studying this? Uh, what are you going to do with it? And so it just became, becomes kind of an intellectual game. Okay, let's get all these answers right. Let's score well on all the tests. Exactly. And then what good does that do? Yeah. They've, they've shown that high IQs don't mean a thing when it comes to the real world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're going to be productive no. or, or a leader or <laughs> anything test else. really well. Yeah, I, I test well. You can jump through the hoops, basically. Yes, uh, I can. Hey, let's go take a test. And, uh, and, you know, I think that the traditional model of education, it works for about 50% of the kids, and there's still a component of that that other people need to learn, right? Like, if I'm more of a visual learner or hands-on learner, I do need a component of traditional education at some point, right? But it's just overbearing that that's the only way that these kids really have um, to be able to show how good they are. It's like standardized tests and things like that. And so creating programs like 360 Journalism and Youth Lens 360 for people to have an outlet or to see you know, what it's like to go out there and really have an experience that you can apply, like you said, to your real life um, and like you know what you could do with this and then it, it may spur something or spark something in you that says, oh, okay, I might I might have went on a photo shoot, but maybe now I want to go into voiceover work because I had this experience, but it started out with going out and having this other experience. Um, so that led to another one. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> growing up, it, I always had a sense Sorry. that, um, of course, I'm much older than all of you. Probably <laughs> if you add all your ages, it's about, <laughs> about what I am. But I always had the sense that our real life wasn't that real, but if it was on TV, then it was more real. Yeah. It was in the paper, and so you strive to maybe be on TV sometime. And, yeah. I was, and then I got to work at KSTP for a while. I was in their TV newsroom doing radio, and I remember I went to cash my check at the bank, and the the cashier said, "Hey, I was on KSTP," and I go, "Yeah, what happened? Oh, my garage burned down." Oh no! <laughs> Great, Great. you made it reasons. on. You got real. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. You're legit now. Yeah, you're yeah. legit. Now, did you actually do journalism in your career? Not traditional journalism. No, I did a lot of different business communications, right? Uh, work, and you know, I'll tell you, for me, um, as I've gone through uh, my career, especially, but even when I was still in school. Um, the ability to be able to communicate well and to and specifically write well and communicate whatever it is that you're trying to say or tell uh, through the written word has always been, first of all, uh, I've always valued the importance of it, but I've also it also fascinates me too in, in good writing. And we see it a lot in, in professional lives, and I'm sure you know some folks as well. Through email, we get to see how everybody writes these days, and it's not always right. gritty, right? And it's not always correlated to how intelligent a person is. But it really makes a difference no matter what type of work you're doing um, to be able to communicate effectively. And it does, you know, images everything sometimes you hear, um, but that is part of your image. And to be able to utilize that skill, um, and that's why at 360, everything we do starts with writing. Um, And then we move on to, you mentioned voice, and we want uh, our kids, first of all, to learn how to tell their own story, and that it matters and that it's interesting and that they can tell it. Um, and then we move on to the other areas uh, in media where they start to tell other people's story uh, through both print and TV and radio and so forth. One thing you learn in doing journalism or in writing or expressing in general, that it's hard to write if you don't have any ideas. Yeah. So you've got to think it through and have that first. And so a lot of times when people say they don't write, it's like, well, is it that you don't write or that you don't mm-hmm. think? You know, yeah. which, which one is it? That's one of the most, um, for what we do, one of the most gratifying things selfishly is that most of our kids sit down um, and they start with a college essay boot camp with us. And mm. that's exactly what they think is I don't oh, have oh, anything to say. Write, writing their uh, essay to get into college. Yes. Okay. Yes. It doubles as a personal essay. Right. But, um, yeah. And almost, uh, you know, every single one of them, 
the first thought is I have nothing to say. There's no way I can do this. Mm. Um, and it's really magical. It's a boot camp, so it's one week long. And it's really magical to see them go from that point to just having the biggest smile on their face and the really greatest story in their hand. Full of confidence. Full of confidence. Yeah, those intangibles that we're not necessarily there measuring, but you see it happen. They just blossom. Um, is really powerful. Uh, and it's, um, you know, that just goes back to these are skills that they can carry on the rest of their lives. And so the, 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 the challenge of writing, and this is I like to go into prehistory a lot, Humans have been speaking for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, we don't know the, the total development of language, <laughs> but uh, that's natural. Everyone learns to speak. You know, little kids, you don't have to teach right. them how to speak. They just hang around. Writing was invented only like 5,000 years ago. It's unnatural. It's brand new. They made it up. They made up all these definitions. They made up grammar. <laughs> and once you, you know, I've, mm-hmm. so I've been a, a writer and editor, and you realize that it's put together and you have your chance to kind of twist it the way you want it. I mean, it's not a solid frozen thing. But um, what they did also in prehistory, since they didn't sit kids in a classroom, the kids just watched what the parents did and kind of imitated the real stuff, you know, whether it's shooting a bow and arrow or learning how to hunt or cook Mm -hmm. or whatever. So education for all those hundreds of thousands of years was basically doing real things. Right. Right. Yeah. I always look at it like... At some point, way back then, you know, somebody knew something, and then somebody else wanted to know what they knew, and then that started, like, the education process. There's an apprentice and this master. Right. And then at some point, everybody wanted to learn that as well, so you had to go, more and more people would go to this master to learn, and that's how I always, in my mind, envisioned education started, but it was very um, hands-on approach to something before it was this, like, university-style a test taking style of education. And so it's like, how do you go back to that just natural, like you're saying, gift that people have where it's like, let's just go do it and learn by mistake, you know, and maybe even when I make that mistake, I might even create something new that's even better than we were, what we were trying to do. And that's, that's what I get to witness every day. Um, it's, it's funny, the entrepreneur masters will always say, make more mistakes, the, the faster, the better. And, but teachers don't say that. Right. Teachers say, <laughs> uh, Where's my red pen? Right. Yeah, so that's true. Get all that stuff. And and uh, we're going to take a break here in a second, but I wanted to say uh, I was an adjunct for a while at St. Thomas yeah. in the journalism department. And one thing that happens when you're in the position of being a teacher, it makes you learn a lot more. For example, uh, I was doing a writing class and I didn't know. So then you really have to look up the grammar and mm-hmm. get good at it if you're going to be a be a teacher. So. Yeah, and you also learn some things are you know a little bit more fluid, like you are saying, when it comes to grammar specifically, you just you do. Uh, and I think you guys, you'll agree that one of the best things about leading an organization like this is that it is constant learning for yourself as well. Right. I agree with that. You learn, you make mistakes, and then you make it up. You keep on going. <laughs> We're here talking with a couple of 360 people. We have uh, David Otero from Youth Lens 360 and Chad Carruthers, the executive director of 360 Journalism, and a devotee to Youth Lens 360, Devante Lowe. We'll be back right after this. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And welcome back to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. I'm Steve LeBeau, and we have our guest today, Dario Otero from YouthLens360, uh, and his, uh, um, I was going to say student, but I guess you're still a student. Accomplice, student. 
accomplished? No, accomplice. Accomplice. Okay, accomplice <laughs> and student. He's accomplished too. <laughs> yeah, accomplished. Lowe, and uh, an aspiring entrepreneur. Yeah. And then uh, Chad Carruthers from uh, 360 Journalism. Uh, who, who, you actually studied journalism, so you know what you're doing. Some days I do, yes, you know, but I'm 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 lucky, uh, fortunate that, you know, there only we have three full time staff, including myself, and I'm fortunate that the other two are extremely capable, um, and have experiences that you know in some ways overlap mine, but also have unique experiences that help us um, elevate what we do in the classroom, but also in what we just offer as a whole to our students. So, um, so do you do uh, what kind of media do you do? I mean, well, yeah, like I mentioned, we start with writing and writing is the core and we produce 360 magazine two to three times a year, which is full of our students content um, from various um, activities that they've encountered during our programming. And then uh, over the last two years, we've started a TV broadcast camp and that is in partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield Center for Prevention. And we also do a radio camp in partnership with Minnesota Public Radio. Great. Yes, and we just finished our summer camp uh, programming, including our TV and radio camps. And if I can do a shameless plug, but it's totally worth it, go to our our website, 360.stthomas.edu, click on the TV and radio, and all of our fresh content that our kids created just weeks ago with um, those radio and TV camps is posted and it's fantastic. So. Well, I didn't hear you mention Twitter. Don't you have a Twitter camp? We do. No, we don't have a Twitter camp. We have a Twitter account. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> okay. No, we do. But we do. Uh, we do some. Um, you know, we've been talking here both on and off the air about uh, just kind of the changing education landscape. And you know, one thing we do as a program is writing is our core, and probably always will be, just because, if nothing else, because of the transferable. Of the, well, you can, uh, of you can write, in, and even if you're an attorney, you can yes. write for your local, you know, publication or yes, an in-house uh, yes. blog or something. But we're all, yeah, and we're also very mindful though of making sure that we're staying with the times from a media perspective. And as we all know, nobody knows exactly where media is going, but it is changing rapidly. So we try to uh, we try to keep going. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to uh, mention uh, Devante. You're of the the proper uh, generation to. You probably grew up with a, a, a media, uh, with social a computer. Media account. <laughs> social Yeah, did you? Or um, when did you start? Were you in first grade? Man, I, I probably had a old Nokia bar cell phone <laughs> probably when I was like five. So, wow. you know, technology for me started pretty early. Um, Let me see your thumb muscles. Do you know how to? <laughs> you know, this a, one's a little injured, but this <laughs> one's pretty strong still. But, um, injured from overactivity, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, um. I don't know. I just technology has definitely grown and is definitely surpassed where where I grew up with it, you know, and I only see it progressing much, much more. I mean, like my daughter's two year old, two years old and she knows how to operate a cell phone. So it's just oh my gosh. it's insane, you know. So it's kind of weird. You just hand the phone to them or they take it one of the two and they just start <laughs> using it and they know how to use it. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you a story. My uh, my mom put me in a text chain last night with my aunt, my father, <laughs> and uh, my son, who is nine. And so he has a cell phone. He just got one for his birthday. If that's wrong or right, I don't know. People will probably criticize me for that. But uh, all of a sudden, I see him respond at like 1030 at night. And I'm like, what is he doing in the text chain? He's supposed to be asleep. I bust in the room. And sure, sure enough, he's on the phone. And I'm like, go to bed. Uh, that's so <laughs> it slipped out. That's, it an, slipped am- out. that's an amateur mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so so do, you, do you talk to people in person, uh, Devante? I mean, do you, oh, do you man, speak? that's so Inter- old school now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I feel like 
me personally, I'd rather get connected with people in person and build that personal connection. You know, um, there's nothing like that when you ex- when you create an experience with somebody in 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 actual like reality instead of over social media. I think too many things get misconstrued and there's too many um, concepts people have on certain things and views and like it just gets messed up along the way. So I prefer personal connections. Well, a big part of communication is miscommunication. Exactly. So I I don't know how many times I've been in some sort of email back and forth with people, and then I just pick up the phone and say, hey, can we talk? We can clear this up in about 30 seconds if I get to ask a question or two without waiting for an email. Absolutely. (laughs) One of the things that we've been able to do at Youth Lens 360 is create positive media. Um, So a lot of the communities that um, are challenged and going through challenges have a lot of negative media coming out of them. And a lot of the, that's part of the mainstream pride, right? And a lot of the focus on those communities and, and the lens that's on that community constantly makes it seem as though that's all that happens in certain communities, right? And so um, we actually pitched to the city of Minneapolis ideas around uh, creating positive music videos and positive uh, content. And so that's something that we're working on now. Is like how do we create more images that can be shared on social media, shared to young the younger generation, right? Like the sixth, seventh, eighth graders that are that have so much negative stuff coming at them daily on their uh, social media. They're all going home from school with their tablets and they're not doing homework. So it's like if the school's giving you this uh, media device and we think that they're just going home and we're, they're just learning, they are learning, but they're learning a lot of stuff uh, from the news sources, from even just negative media that's coming to them constantly. How can we jump in there with some positive stuff that uh, can be shared as well? Right, because the consumption, I read recently that the uh, they predict that 87% of media consumption will be audio and video. Mm. So, yeah. sorry books. Hey, <laughs> yeah, and, and sorry newspapers, right? But, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised it's not already up there already, to be right. honest with you. It's, uh, you know, we, do, we get print newspapers in front of our kids all the time, and it's very, very few of them um, have ever experienced that before, so... Crazy. Hmm. It's it's uh, when I read the difference between a newspaper and reading online oh. is that you see a lot of stuff you don't see online because yeah. they'll put something in front of you based on some algorithm that thinks, oh, this is what Steve wants to look at, so right. we'll just push it up in front of his face and not let him browse through all these things that that who knows I might be interested in but never thought of before. Yeah, exactly. they only well, know I, the th- big data only knows the things that you thought of. Before. Yeah, and I think you know I read newspapers extensively all my life, really, but. Uh, you know, I would say that a great deal of what I have learned is through reading print and newspapers. And a lot of it's for the reason you say. I had my, you know, areas of interest that I would always go to. But then, of course, as you're flipping the pages, you're walking over some other things that maybe you're, you didn't know you had an interest in, but the headline catches your eye and you read it and you learn something about your community or whatever else that you may not have online. You um, It may not have crossed your eyes and you never would have gone there. Right. I, I In fact, one of my nerd activities as a, uh not even as a child, but as a as an adult, is to go to the library. And the downtown Minneapolis library used to have all these new book bins. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go around and look at all the new books, whether whatever category it was. You know, I, I wasn't big on fiction, but all the different nonfiction types of things. And I would maybe check out six and, and kind of pour through them, not read them cover to cover, but you'd find out a lot of interesting things. But I never would have known them otherwise. Of course, now I have all the books... Uh, book files, books on PDF <laughs> yeah, <right>. on my <laughs> computer. So I don't I don't go to the library anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, anyway. too bad. I don't think I'll ever get tired of books. 
You, I you love, like books? I love reading. Um, Ever since like the fifth grade, I've read at a college level. So it's like been wow. a good, it's been a good thing for me. What, and, what kind of books? Um, I like all types of books. I'd say more mystery, you know, fiction kind of stuff. But I love reading books that teach me new things as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm sure this is such a cliche book. Everybody has this book, The Art of War. I have that at oh, home, sure. so I picked that up. Sun Tzu? Or? Yep, yep. Something like that. I'm not going to try to. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd be brave. It, it's a hard book to read, definitely, though. It has some uh, $50 words in there like we were talking about, but yeah. Well, you need a $100 dictionary. <laughs> so you get through that. So. Google. Yeah, <laughs> or Google. Yeah. Google it. The, the thing I don't like about fiction, and, and this is you know, the whole idea, I think, of Journalism 360s, telling stories, or 360 journalism, telling stories, stories. And, and I think, you know, my theory is, is that the idea of a story is based on the, the, the structure of action, you know, mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end. A does B. Mm. And so that's imprinted in our DNA because if we don't act, we don't survive. Right. And so uh, the stories are like that. And the trouble is, when the story's in a book, it's it takes like what six eight hours. Who knows how long <laughs> to read it? And I'm up all night reading because I got to find out what what happens. Right, what happens yeah. next? Even a bad movie, what happens? I got to see what happens. You can't stand the cliffhanger. No, <laughs> no. So, have, uh, who, anyone here want to write a novel? I do. You do? Yep. I was actually starting um, a novel. It was called Justice's Journey. It was kind of like. Um, I would say kind of like a biography, but not in the sense of telling the story of myself. It was through another character type thing. So um, I don't know how you would, what you would convey that as, but yeah. So, but basically this, the novel is going to be about um, just um, a young, a young, a young kid born into this certain lifestyle and then just kind of figuring it out from there, you know, has some, some um, ups and downs. I won't give you guys too much information, just, you know. How does your life turn out? <laughs> we'll see. Okay. I, I haven't, you know, my you book, the my story's be, still being written, so we'll find out. Well, it's good you're in control of your own story. Definitely. I believe everybody is in control of their own story, and, you know, we all have that blank page on the other side, but what we do today determines what gets written on that page, so. It's kind of fun and scary at the same time. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's natural to wake up and just do the same thing over. Okay, just reprint that yeah. page yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do that again. Works out pretty good Maybe then. change yeah. what's for dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I get tired of stagnant, so I got to switch it up all the time. Well, how old are you? I'm only 23 years old. 23. Okay. Yeah. What's about my daughter? She's turning 24 in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll be 24 in November. So where did you go to school? Um, I went to school, um, high school, I went to school Patrick Henry for two years, and then I moved out to Arizona, and then oh. I, went, I went to school out there. I went to a school called Shadow Mountain, and then I didn't do too good, so I went to an alternative school, and then a couple, I'd say maybe like a year and a half, two years later, I ended up moving back here, and so hmm. where, I'm at, where I'm at now is I'm uh, currently studying for my GED. I have one more test, my math test. I take that on the 23rd, and then I'll be going to MCTC. Wow, good to get a plan. Yep, cool. definitely. So you like to read, but now the math. 
Man, the math comes out. Math is the worst subject, so that's why <laughs> that's why I saved it for last. That's the one that needs the most work. That's so. why I teach journalism. <laughs> yeah, I think I was uh, taking my first year math class on my third year of college, just trying, you know, wow. for the third time. So <laughs> well, I I didn't I took no math in college. Yeah, I, I had enough in high school, but I, I never liked it, and well, and I was I was a bad influence on my daughter. She didn't uh, yeah. wasn't big on math either, <laughs> but she went to a school where they didn't care. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> gosh, we all commit, and and so look, we're counter the stereotype. It's supposed to be men are strong at math. It's it's women that are within it, and every woman I know knows how to exactly calculate, calculate. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, quicker very, than me. Very calculate. Oh wait, that's not what you meant. But uh, yeah. no, no, I I, I agree. I'm not saying anything. I'm not getting in trouble with this. One. <laughs> I'm not editing that out either. Right. Is this thing on. Wait a minute. The um. The one thing I like, I was mentioning in my previous job, I worked with a lot of young entrepreneurs, and it's so much fun to deal with people that are not of my age. Not that right. all older people are boring, but just most of them are. Yeah. The new creative ideas that they come with, just, you know, it, it's amazing to me. Just even when we're doing business, right? So if we're sitting down with a client and, uh, you know, I have somebody like Devante with me and he understands social media to a certain level that a lot of other companies don't. He could give you ideas around the content that we're going to create for this company so that it can, you know, show on social media the right way. Like that little bit of knowledge that he just has in him um, is amazing when you're sitting down with a client. You know, it's, it's something that the clients pay a lot of money to understand. So. Well, that's in your card, the, the youth perspective, right? Exactly. Looking at a, and so that I'm a big believer in that because uh, every perspective uh, is incomplete. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, uh, well, let's get an adult expert on youth mm. and ask. Right, you know, right, right. See what he has to say about what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Ignore you. Well, I'm with you, though. It's uh, not, that, not that adults are boring, but uh, you get a lot of great energy and thoughts and ideas and everything else from young people. And uh, definitely one of the most the favorite parts of my job is just being able to work with high school students. Um and, you know, we're in the college setting as well, so getting to work with those kids as well, some too. Hmm. Uh, really, it gives you, you know, first of all, people, you, you always hear negative things about millennials, and I don't see it at all with, um, you're a millennial. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> no offense. Uh, it's all but, right. but, you know, what I see is completely different from what the popular culture would have you believe. Um and, and the younger ones, too, which, what are they, Gen Z, I think? Yeah, uh, I think so. So yeah. do you make fun of the Gen Z? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I do, I do. I, I'm guilty, but I don't want to make fun of them. I want to just teach them to yeah. to do better. You know. What, what, now, how would you characterize them? I mean, I, I agree that the millennial stereotype is is wrong because working with young entrepreneurs, they're high achievers. They're right. diligent. They're they're out to do things. The the one thing they have in common, and maybe you can tell me if you agree with this, they uh, they all want their businesses to have a strong social element. Right. And they think that it's it shouldn't be up to government to, to fix everything wrong in society. It should be up to them. So it's like business, uh, a responsible business is the way to fix society rather than some government program. So yeah. I, be- I believe that. I believe that if you have a business and it's in the community, they definitely should have some, some serious involvement in impacting that community in positive ways, you know. Um, I don't believe that, you know, like, for instance, say you have a restaurant on 38th in Chicago and, you know, there's something going on around the neighborhood. Maybe go approach that yourself instead of calling 
your local police department or whatever. Not if it's going to put your life in danger or anything like that, but I'm just saying certain situations, you know, might be able to be handled through the community with a business partner or something like that. I, I, I agree with that. I One of the reasons why I really wanted to do Youth Lens 360 was the fact that I didn't see, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit in certain communities being, how can I say, tapped, right? Like, it's there. People understand entrepreneurship, you know, whether it's the hot dog stand or the lemonade stand on that, you know, but nobody's saying when they go to school that you have this intelligent mind and how could you start something that, that you know, in your community that you want to grow? And if you could start something in your community that you want to grow and make it self-sustainable, then, like, what could you do? what could you do to change the community for what you want it to be? Um, you know, and that's that I saw probably generations ago, like with my great grandfather, I heard about these stories. Um, but for some reason, at some point, you know, this, there was a change in that in certain communities and, um, people were split apart and communities were, um, you know, split apart. And we see that effect today where it's like, it's still there in spirit, right? Like, but it's not being, nobody's cultivating this, you know, entrepreneurial spirit, of these young people, and that's really what I I wanted to do with Youth Lens 360. Well, plus, um, so much education, when it is uh, career focused, it's on where are you going to get a job. Mm-hmm. And then I've talked to a lot of uh, young entrepreneurs that graduated in 2008, and they said there were no jobs. We had to become entrepreneurs. There was no <laughs> choice. And now there's a huge, huge percentage of the population. I'm not exactly sure, and they're basically freelancers. You mm-hmm. know, the the self-employed yeah. economy. Yeah, and um, I think that's interesting. And you know, I think uh, you know a lot of research and just um, history shows that having a health, a healthy entrepreneurial community and, and small business community is really important. Um, and the social responsibility aspect definitely is more um, visible than it's ever been. Um, so you cover uh, uh, important issues for your students. They don't just cover yes, movies, or you we know. do. Yeah, and that kind of goes to the empowerment piece that you were referring to. You know, asking our students what in their community or their lives um, matters and what uh, story do they want to tell. And, you know, we somehow mm-hmm. mold that all generally under some sort of theme. But um, for, and I'll give you the example of our, our TV broadcast camp. All of those stories were around health equity and different, uh, generally different mm. health equity or, or the lack thereof. Yeah, and some, some um, interesting initiatives to um, try to balance that out a little bit. So, right. yeah, we're very much in tune with uh, making sure our kids are uh, have a voice in what matters to them. Great. Well, you're tuned in to uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back right after this. Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. We're back. I'm Steve LeBeau with uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Year. We're talking about, um, boy, actually different modes of education, how to get these kids into something new besides the standard curriculum, uh, which I don't think it's working at all. I mean, it seems to work when kids graduate, but then what do they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the Twin Cities, they're even having trouble having kids graduate. Mm-hmm. So especially along the racial lines, you know, it's uh, I think Minnesota is the worst in the nation for uh, yeah. high school graduations, uh, the achievement gap. So definitely we need to change somehow. I know I talked to one uh, woman who 
said that they're looking for more practical ways to teach kids, and they pointed to the New Country Schoolhouse. Have you been to that down uh, in southern Minnesota? I forget which town, but it's basically kids enroll there, and they just take projects. They have projects to work on instead of, uh, you know, okay, you're going to take math at, at 10 and, you know, English at, at 11. And then they learn whatever they need to learn. Okay, you have to write your business proposal. Well, there you need a little English. You need a little writing. You know, you got to do your budget. Well, then there's the, the math come in. Oh, I'm going to make something out of wood. Well, then you've got to measure that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, twice measured, only once cut, that kind mm-hmm. of talk. Uh, when you said new country, it took me a second, but that's in Henderson, Minnesota, I believe. Henderson, that's right. I got trained there uh, when I first came into education about project-based learning. Um, right, so that's, that was, the, that's the place. Yep, and uh, Doug Thomas, I believe, was the director at the time, and Doug's just a great guy. School was amazing. We got to see, like, how project-based learning should happen, right? And uh, I took a lot of my training back to the high school for recording arts, and that's when I actually— it was a project at the time to create the visual inclusion program that turned into what is still there now, which is uh, youth in the special education field, feeling like they have power when it comes to creating the media content at the school. So mm-hmm. you have a really cool school with music studios in there. Well, the next step is everybody wants their photo shoot their, uh, you know, they want their video shot to the music that they created. And that's happening at the high school for recording arts and that was my experience, you know, going through that project-based learning process that I learned. So you're talking about the excitement. We were talking uh, earlier about confidence. I mean, what you have is engaged students, and that's the challenge in the regular classroom is that mm-hmm. it's so boring. How do you get them engaged? I mean, that was my it, issue. Like, nothing was captivating enough to me. Nothing really stuck with me. It was all just cut and dry, just... You know, blah, 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 blah. Like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, like, <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> We all know what that sounds. Yeah. I mean, for me, I wish I wish that, you know, when I went to high school, they would have taught me how to bounce a checkbook or change right. a tire or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. real life important. Not saying that math and English and, and all of these subjects aren't important, but more like realistic, everyday things that you encounter. Yeah, the practical application. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we all need to be taught how to add and so forth and so on, but what does that mean, you know? And when you talk about project-based learning, um, going into a wood shop or whatever and then measuring twice and cutting once, you know, it's, it, that all feeds into each other. But, you know, we've gotten to a point, at least when I was in school, where it was pretty much just sitting at the desk and listening to Charlie Brown's teacher or whoever it may have been. <laughs> well, and then in math, they had like uh, sets and the new math. I don't know what, what you guys oh, had, yeah. but all these negative numbers and unreal numbers. I mean, yes. I've never dealt with those things in my life. Yeah, actually, I was back in St. Louis over the weekend, and uh, one of my friends brought up the unreal number, and I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's yeah, why yeah. I teach journalism again. <laughs> you want, if you want a challenge, go sit down with a third or fourth grader right now and try to learn math because they're learning it completely uh, different oh, now. Yeah, so you is, know, it, is it applied or is it just uh, yeah, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> my son knows it, so it's working, but I'm yeah. still like, I'm well, lost. See, I can't help him at home. all. Daddy, help, help me with me. my math. <laughs> and sorry. it's like I've been, I've been out nope. of school for so long, I <laughs> yeah. don't remember. Yeah, sorry, kid. Yeah, the way they're doing it now is definitely different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it has to change, but it changed for some reason, and they're mm-hmm. doing it completely different. But uh, it's like it's like we said, it's like you got to relearn that just to be able to teach it. And that's, I think that's what teachers have to do. It's like go out and learn something so that you can get into the minds of these young people and work with them, not hmm. teach them, but like facilitate a classroom of conversations, of questions, and let those students be able to tell you what they know. And then 
and, and that that learning process, uh, the exchange of education is what needs to happen versus like I'm the only person that knows about English right now in this classroom. I'm going to teach you this. And so if I would have went to a program like 360 Journalism, I, who knows where I would have been. But I grew up in high school thinking I was a bad reader, bad writer. And I had a second chance and a blessing to go to college. It was really not supposed to happen. But when it happened, I had to relearn everything at the writer's lab. But I got to sit with people my age that were telling me, like, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. So I understood it. And I didn't learn how to write really and read really till college. That was that was a big challenge for me. I graduated high school with a 1.6 GPA. Hmm. So it was it was like, but the only difference was I was going into this writer's lab with young people working with me, yeah. um, you know, that kind of dove into like, well, what is your interest? What do you want to write about? I had never been asked that in high school. So you had the, your curiosity sparked. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And cool that's, that's the key part of journalism. I mean, I, I went through a period in, in school, I think a sixth grade, where we had to think of questions about chapters, and I had the toughest time. And then, then I became an interviewer when I grew yeah. up, and I think <laughs> questions left yeah. and right. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, but it seems so abstract just to, at the end of a chapter, write a question. Yeah. I couldn't, it's not like a real person. <laughs> it starts to develop that process of inquiry, I guess, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and then of course, in my days, uh, in the 60s, when I went to high school, they said, uh, question authority. So the first authorities we questioned were the teachers. Right. Of course, right. <laughs> what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, of course, uh, maybe that's why I kind of identify sometimes with millennials because mm-hmm. they're kind of rebels too in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. So kind of the well, you tell me, uh, um, uh, Devante, you grew up when nine eleven was was happening. Right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that set your framework for okay. Welcome to reality. Oh man, I don't know. Me personally, I've always had problems with authority. Um, that just goes from how I was raised. I was raised in like a single parent home. You know, your typical dad wasn't around, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I didn't really have that authoritative piece in my life. So when I went to school and there were teachers that were more by the book, you know, I rebelled. So. But I feel like as a millennial, um, I hate saying that, but <laughs> as one of those. As, as a so-called millennial. <laughs> right, as a so-called millennial, um, I feel like none of us like to be told what to do, you know. Um, I feel like maybe I know that I learn better or I respect someone more uh, from an older perspective, like someone Dario's age or your age, whatever. I respect them more as if, like, you tell me not to do something, but then you educate me yeah. why. Not just because this is how it is and this is what I say. I feel like as a you know so-called millennial, I think most of us would respect that more. You know, because I feel like a lot of us don't have a lot of respect for people older than us. You know, that's the misconstrued misconception on us. Like we don't have respect for people older than us. But you're just picky. Yeah, just mm-hmm. picky. Not all of us, but most of us. <laughs> but but the point is that some old people. Uh, do have wisdom to share. They definitely their life's do. Experience. Yeah. If you sit down and talk to them, most of them don't speak up. You got to go to them, and and you want to know what it is. Honestly, it's uh, with us. It's you know, you guys have lived so much life that you guys demand respect. You know, and it, it's like, you know, give us respect as well. You know, yeah. like don't just think that we're below you and beneath you just because of our age and we don't know nothing. I don't know. I'm just speaking from a perspective. Well, you know, we have um, at 360, we have, like I mentioned earlier, some great volunteers who really support our programming. And a lot of that is one-on-one with our students. And our students, I think, you know, last program year, 97% of our students are students of color. Many of them are recent immigrants. Um, They're from all over the world. 
Last summer, 2017, we had students out of about 100 students. We had kids from 19 different countries. So it's a really diverse you know, group of kids. And we have these volunteers come into them, and we have several longtime and even retired journalists um, who are part of that volunteer pool. So the point is, is you have older white men sitting down with these young kids from all over the world right. um, who have completely different backgrounds. But over the time period, over the week, and sometimes two weeks that they work together, you know, first of all, the adults gain a lot out of that experience, and they know they will do that, and that's part of why they do it. But the kids, they have no idea what to think. You know, you're sitting me down with this person. What in the how is this going to work? Right. Um, but they get exactly what you're saying, the wisdom and so forth, as they go through that process. And not only from the technical um, training that the individual can offer the student, but just from a life life uh, skills and life story and and uh, just advice. It's really cool. It's just a definitely one of those add-ons that you don't expect necessarily to go going into the room, but then you come out and you're like, wow, that's pretty neat. I and, would presume some of those students like spent years in a refugee camp. Yeah, exactly. Saw a lot more reality than Definitely. you should yeah. by their young Yes, age. yeah, it's unbelievable some of the stories, and I'll plug our website again, go on and look at the college essays, <laughs> and you'll read a lot about them. <laughs> you know what's interesting is uh, if you ever walk into a school and you talk to a youth that's in a school setting, and you ask them what their favorite subject is, they'll always tell you their favorite teacher. Mm. They'll never say, like, oh, my favorite subject is this. They'll, they'll start to tell you about the teacher, huh. the teacher's background, who they are and why they like them. Uh, you know, he sits down with me or she sits down with me and has a conversation. And we don't, it's not just all about the subject, you know. And so, like, when you hear that over and over and over you start to realize that it is really about relationship building. Mm-hmm. And if a teacher were to walk in the school year this year and start out with having that just conversation around, like, this is who I am and what I did this summer and what did you guys do and start to build a relationship before diving into a subject, they'll end up uh, making really good math students if that's the subject that they're <laughs> teaching just because of that relationship piece, right? That, that's so important. They say that about careers, too. They say you don't quit a job, you quit a boss. Mm. So it's that <laughs> lack of relationship or that bad relationship that, that drives you out of it. I'll quit a few of those, then. You quit a couple bosses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know that. You've learned of things already. You're only 23, and mm-hmm. yeah. you've been through that. I, I don't know. I've always, I don't know, been drawn or connected to people older than me. You know, I don't really connect with people my age or younger. I do, I do but I don't. I prefer to be around people older than me with more wisdom. That's just how I've always been. Mm. I feel like uh, life experiences bring wisdom, you know? You're no. not just kissing up to us. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 no just, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm being honest. Everything I say is true. So. <laughs> Everything. Never Everything. Lied. Never lied before. <laughs> never. That's good. Well, that's a, the that's a kind of person you want to work with. Now, we haven't talked about where you do, where do you find your kids yeah. for, for both of you. I mean, where do you dig up uh, young would-be journalists or would-be entrepreneurs. Do you want to do your commercials now? Sure. <laughs> Go right ahead, Darian. For Youth Lens 360, it's really interesting. Um, I started out just knowing a core group of youth that I really had been working with, uh, both in and out of school. So I found them, you know, trying to figure out still how to navigate the world even though I had graduated high school, you know, what maybe they went to college for a year but didn't really know if they wanted to do that because they were out in some, you know, country, you know, like really country college where they didn't feel like they had, you know, anybody that looked like them there. And so they would come back and then go back to the city schools like the MCTCs and stuff like that, but still didn't weren't finding what they wanted to do. And um, I know them as, you know, very intelligent young people that 
were into entrepreneurship when they're in high school. And so just grabbing them back into entrepreneurship and what I was doing. So what, what kind of age range are you talking about? Yeah, so 14 to 24 is what Youth Lens 360 work with. We work with a lot more of the high school age students in the school or we'll create opportunities for the, them to come outside of the school building and do projects. But a lot of the youth that I work with are in that 18 to 24 range. Mm. Uh, we're going to business meetings. We're going to uh, sit down with clients and figure out how to market their product and sit down and, um, you so know. Devante, did you learn how to put on a tie? I learned that when I started going to church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't you know can anymore. Pick up things here and there. Yeah. I forgot. Oh, you forgot? Yeah. Okay. In a while. That's very much part of it, though. It's like, you know, when do you pull out that, uh, you know, that dress outfit? When do you, when can you go casually, you know? Right. I mean, when you look up and you see, like, all the tech gurus, they're all just wearing T-shirts, right? Like, so could you just walk in with your T-shirt? I know not, nothing against you, Chad. But <laughs> it's yeah. very and, nice. and I'm far from a tech guru. <laughs> clear that up. But, you know, it's like this, mis- you know, they see this, you know, oh, I, I want to be like Mark Zuckerberg. I want to be the next tech guy. Sure. But he just wears a T-shirt everywhere, so I guess I can do that. Well, try to do that when you walk in with your next client. Right. right. Like, right. So it's that, you know, you got to be able to work through that where you fit in. So much of the work that we do is just really just mentorship. Not only am I being mentored as a uh, entrepreneur, but I'm passing on whatever I'm being mentored in to them. And then that's why somebody like Devante wants to go work with youth because he's going to pass it mm-hmm. on to the other young people. So that's four generations. So how do they sign up? Yeah, they sign up through just coming in the door. Um, they I'm at the impact. They, they sign up with their feet. Yeah, they sign up with their feet. So I'm Word at the Impact Hub downtown here in Minneapolis, the brand new uh, Finnegan's and Impact Innovation that's, that's Space. That's where your nice. office is? Yes, our office is in there. And so, like, when you walk in there, you cannot walk into the Finnovation Space without seeing our office. Mm. Um, and that's done by design. We want to be there in a position where we're showing that, you know, a lot of these young people that are coming in there can work in this entrepreneur space, uh, but also for the young people to think about, like, how can my company also have social impact? And so that's why that space is so important for our youth to be able to walk in there, you know, walk over to Software for Good, for example, and talk to them about, you know, the next app that they want to design. Um, well, you have Software for Good down the hall, you know, and all these app designers running around. And, and it's really an interesting opportunity for a lot of young people that may not have ever seen themselves going into technology. Now is that, that gate is open, that door is open just because of the people that are in that space. So there's a sense of collaboration, a sense of camaraderie, and and uh, but you can learn a lot casually more than you can learn sometimes in a formal. Yeah, situation. and you're also talking about that access piece, and when you exactly. get into you know gaps of various types um, and uh, underrepresented populations and so forth, a lot of it, part of it at least, is is just access and um, showing people um, what uh, somebody else did and that they're capable of the same thing. And this is how that might look or how that might work is huge. How do you recruit uh, young journalists? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, And I just want to clarify, (laughs) too. I I always dress for radio, so that's that's (laughs) a lot. Um, We get our kids from uh, many different areas. Um, They come from across the metro of the Twin Cities. Uh, We have a couple strong relationships with Harding High School on the east side of St. Paul, Cristo Rey over here in Minneapolis. Um, our engagement manager at 360 Bao Vang is a Harding High School graduate. So she has the uncanny ability to walk into a classroom and tell uh, students, many of whom are Hmong like herself, that you need to be in this program. And they say, okay. 
and they come. So <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's just one slice of the pie right there. But um, but you know, and a lot of it is word of mouth too. Um, and when I say that, we have tight relationships with a lot of school administrators and teachers. You know, we're a, we're a, um, a very intensive programming, and we need our kids to be engaged in the classroom. So we need kids who want to be there and want to get as much as they can out of the program. Uh, and it works. And we teachers know that, administrators know that, um, and they are really helpful in identifying kids who would thrive in our program. Um, and part of it, too, is just pure word of mouth, too. Hey, I was in this great program over the summer, 360 Journalism, you might want to try it, or they'll see our kids work on uh, on the, our website or on social media or whatever, and they say, hey, this is something I want to be a part of. So. Now, did they used to have work in the Star Tribune? Let's just say that again. I'm sorry. Did they used to have their work printed in the? Uh, yeah, they still do. I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, um, the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, which I believe this year is the second, Labor, uh, September second, um, our some of our kids' work from this summer will be published in spreads in both the Star Tribune and Pioneer Press. Really, so, both sides of the river. Both sides of the river. Yes, indeed. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Boy, this is getting excited. It's, I, I I want to go back to school. I want to study these. Things. <laughs> yeah, wanna, you know, we, uh, to be, I want to, I want Dario to be my mentor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's pretty cool that you know we have guys like you that are working and uh, paying it forward, and, and I mean that's really what it's all about. And I mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, when I came here, that what I saw on the street looked a lot different from where I came from. Um, but one thing that is also very different here is the um, the collective energy and collaboration and real keen desire to do good in this community. And yes, we have some really unfortunate and miserable gaps that uh, need to be addressed and are being addressed. And hopefully we'll see those needles move even faster. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of people here who really want to help make that happen. And I think that says a lot about uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of work cut out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Get out there and start entrepreneuring. Exactly. I, I agree so much with what Chad just said, because it's like every time I step outside the door and I do something like this radio show, I meet people that are doing the work. And I'm like, there's this misconception that nobody's trying out here. Um, and I think that that's what I see from my young people, that when you look at the gap, when you look at 11,000 truant students around the metro, um, what you're seeing is that untapped potential. And I think right. our programs are just saying like, hey, how can we tap into that yeah. um, potential that people are looking over and bring them into a space like a Youth Lens 360, 360 Journalism, or wherever where these kids could be able to, you know, excel. Okay, we're, we've, we've run out of time, and uh, we've come to a 360 on the clock. Yeah, when do we get to do <laughs> um, so part like two? To, <laughs> part two is coming up. <laughs> so I'd like to thank uh, Chad Carruthers from 360 Journalism and uh, Dario Otero from Youth Lens 360. And Devante Lowe, you get the last word. What's your next project going to be? My next project, um, getting my business off the ground. <laughs> and do you have a name yet? Um, the I did have a name. Hold on one second. Let me think. You <laughs> caught me off guard. It was Youth in... I can't remember. I remember we came. We were, th- we were still in that design stage. So I remember? have it. <laughs> I have it. Okay. Youth in Development. Right. There you go. Youth and development. Yeah. Uh, Yid. I got to yeah. gotta check and make sure it's not taken already. <laughs> yeah. but. Okay. So we'll put an asterisk on that. But, yeah. uh, thanks for joining us. And you've been listening to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. And a special thanks to Dan Cook, our producer. And this is a production with WCCO Radio, our media partner. Thank you for listening to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.